Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's like the famous thing. Being famous is not an end game and doing a show is not an end game. Mm. You know, that, that should not be a goal as to I want to do a show. It's like, well, you have to know why you're doing a yeah. show and what is the show going to give back to you at the end of it. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 41. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV and today, performance. The boy with tape on his face, also known as Sam Wills, is a New Zealand prop comic who currently works out of London. So he's been a former street performer and currently tours the comedy circuit with a silent mime slash prop comic comedian app. It's really hard to explain and we get into why it's so hard to explain and why that has been turned into actually one of his most valuable marketing assets. He has a lot to say on goal setting and trying to achieve your goals through the system but while not letting it rule what you want to do and I really enjoyed chatting to him. I think he's I think he's a very clever man and I think he's really good at what he does and he's really intelligent in the way that he handles his career and his future. We also go into what he wants out of the future and how he thinks he's going to achieve it using his current status. I think he's got some great thoughts on audience building and uh, building a relationship with that audience uh, both online and offline as well as using the different circuits for your own goals and achievements. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed chatting to him. I think this is a great episode. If you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support me and you would like, maybe you'd like to read a how-to guide for performers on building their own audiences and becoming sustainable around a community of people that support what they do. Well, you're in luck. I have, I sound like such an infomercial, but you're in luck. I have a book out at the moment. Uh, You can find a link for it in the show notes. It's on Indiegogo and it is being crowdfunded at the moment. It's called How to Make a Living by Working for Free. It's £5 for a digital copy or £8 for a paperback copy. There's loads of little deals in there. If you could support me that way, that'd be great. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. Uh, just share this podcast with someone or leave it a review. Either way, everything, every little bit helps. So please, please do anything you want to support out this podcast. Every little bit helps. Without any more delays, this is the boy. Uh, yeah, so I'm trying to think, when did I first? Yeah, there's a, a fan of the show in Edinburgh who one show just turned up and gave me an envelope, which was just a picture. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then over the years, it's like, she's now those pictures are hanging on the wall in our house. Kind of thing. It's great. So she, every year she gives you a new picture? Well, we end up, actually, my wife commissioned her to do a picture. <laughs> and I commissioned her just the other month to do another picture for a, a work proposal. So That's amazing. Good. Yeah, no, it's good. But then she's, you know, and she's genuinely a lovely person. So it's yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. It's like, it's, uh, I mean, with Twitter, like we were talking about, 
talking about before. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I've met people off of there. Like, some people have come down to previews or spots and stuff. Yeah. And, like, if they come back a couple of times, you sort of feel... Not obligated, but you feel like it's a good idea to talk to them anyway. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and then you do become friends. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with you being friends with someone who's, who likes what you do. Yeah, totally. There's a, you, can, you have to be able to separate, to a degree, some of the stage stuff to being a normal human being. Mm. Like, I hate the people who go who do not talk to their fans. They're the ones who, who have the ego to, I don't know, to not do it, to hide away and run to a car kind of thing after the show. It's mm. just stupid. You have to talk to your fans. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. And I'll tell you what, th- is that roughly we're going to be holding yeah. the mic? Okay. So good. Yeah, that's cool. That's fine. I think we're safe to start. Although that is going to annoy me, that's but fine. Really, yeah. uh, it's okay. Edinburgh sounds of construction. Yeah, I'll just do. I'll just mention it in the intro and be like, yeah. we asked them to fuck off, but they yeah, pricks. Yeah. Um, well, really quickly, what, what I normally do is yeah. I, I, I ask the first question and then I ask the person to answer the first question within the answer. So okay. I sort of do an intro and then you're so like okay. So the first question was going to be like, how many versions have there been of the boy? Oh, okay. So yeah. if you could sort of say, well, there have been X number of versions, versions over the, of the years. Or, do you know what I mean? So you yeah. answer the question within the answer. Yeah. Okay. Got it. How many versions of the boy have there been? <laughs> it's really awkward to repeat, it, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. I think with my show, I'm lucky enough in the sense that I think there's only been one version of the boy. Actually, no, that's not true. There's there's three. Yeah, I say there's definitely three versions because I. Oh no, I'm going to add more. There's five. There's maybe. <laughs> now I'm thinking about them. The, yeah, there's the first. The first evolution of the boy with tape on his face was the one who didn't have tape on his face, and so that was just the boy. And so that was done in New Zealand, and that was a character who just wore a funny little outfit because I wanted to do a silent character because I did another show where I talked a lot. So my silent character initially wore a little suit jacket, jeans, a black shirt, and a tape measure as a tie. And that was my, my little wacky wacky tilt. Uh, uh, so I did that show. So that's the first version of The Boy. And then the second one had tape on his face uh, because I ended up ruining the first one by talking to the audience and ruining the act. Uh, so the, f- the second one had tape on his face and was more Tim Burton influenced with the stripy tops because then I started realising I should have a nod to mime. And so the stripes went in there. Then it was grey uh, jeans and black shoes and and then it evolved to the tidy version which sort of stuck with me for a number of years so we're up to three versions now so that was the one that I, I stuck around and did the most shows with so that was the boy with tape on his face touring through New Zealand and Australia eventually coming over here to Edinburgh and then he started getting revamped again so I'm going to sit on four there are four versions of the boy with tape on his face and the, the current version has evolved again who's become a wee bit darker and a wee bit more demon-esque right yeah and is that is that because you need to keep reinventing it for yourself, or do you think it's like the audience want something new? Or? I think the audience definitely wants something new, and, and I also, I do, yeah, you're right. I do have to keep it interesting for myself because I, the the last the version number three, <laughs> tape face three, <laughs> <laughs> tape face three, had, I've been doing for what six years, fairly solidly now, all over the place, and so I I think I kind of run run its course of where I thought the character could go. So only in developing and growing a new sort of brain of the character or, or reinventing how the character thinks makes me then go back over my old material and go, oh, I can do this completely different. And, and it's rediscovering the material again and the jokes and the character. It's almost like the character, yeah, he gets the script again and he rereads it and, and performs it in a different way, which is really fun. So is, is it just a complete character that isn't anything to do with you or do you think it's part of you oh there's definitely a side i say i say it's me at nine years old that would be a <laughs> fairly solid base of the character because I, I and then there's yeah i think the part of me that is very quiet wanting to just watch people and is a bit of a kind of social outcast in its own weird way uh and then the ongoing 
playfulness. Like I think that's that's something I carry through very strongly in my real life as well. Is that I think people have forgotten how to play, and it's really important for me for maintaining my imagination. I force myself every day to imagine things because it's that it's a for me it's a muscle that you have to keep in really good shape. Mm. So you must always imagine things all the time. So it's and it, yeah, it's important to do that. Um, sorry, because it clipped for a second. I was uh, wondering what it was. It's fine. Um, it's just to make Happy sure days. the sound's fine. Because well, the thing is, your your sound is way more important than mine. Because I can re-record my end. Of it. I can come out here and like, re-record me. Phone it in. But you, I, yeah. I, I don't want to bring you back. And go, <laughs> bring it back in. Tell me about tape face three again. Say the word three. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just need to yeah. just need you to say tape again. Um, well, yeah. So why silent though? Like, is it just you were trying to go the opposite way to every other comedian? Who no, it was it was genuinely because I was going against myself. My old show was I was called Sam Wells. That was my normal name, uh, and I was doing stand up comedy in New Zealand. But uh, the, uh, I was always a prop comic because I come from a circus background. So my circus background led me into circus sideshow of hammering nails up my nose and pushing my body through tennis rackets, and that got me into prop comedy back in New Zealand. And so for a, for quite a long time, I was the only prop comic. I was very influenced by people like Jim Rose, Circus Sideshow, so my style of comedy was a lot of fast-talking and a lot of tricks. And so I put together a show at the time, which was an evolutionary show called uh, Dance Monkey Dance, the evolution of Sam Wills, essentially telling the audience about how I came to be the way I am, of being, you know, the nails and drills and broken glass and the oddities. And this is when you were talking. This was when I was talking. Okay. So I did a full one-hour sort of interactive theatre comedy show. And at the end of the show, it sort of it finished with me. I, I won an award in New Zealand. It was, at the time, the biggest award in comedy called the Billy T. James Award. Wow. And from that award, everyone just expected me to talk more and do more tricks, which kind of defeated the whole purpose of the show because I was trying to explain to people how I was being forced to talk more and do more tricks by the audience mm. So I did, and that I really didn't want to do that but they were making me do it because I was their dancing monkey so no matter what I did it was never going to be good enough because they would always want more talking and more tricks and so the idea was then to everyone expected me to write another show of more tricks and more talking and so the idea came about well I'll do the complete opposite because I'm, re- I'm a rebellious idiot as well that's maybe the street performer in me that goes fight against the system hate all sorts of authority yeah and I've got a real chip on my shoulder about that (laughs) (laughs) at at the time did you have management no not in New Zealand at the time nobody in New Zealand had management we only had one comedy club (laughs) four million people one comedy club right that's that's interesting in itself because I was going to ask what did your management think about you going against what was obviously commercially viable at the uh, time? in New Zealand it's very different because you, everyone's really encouraged to just try anything like with me and the comedy club Scott Blanks at the Classic I, he was really good because I could almost ring him on the day and say I've had an idea for a routine can I get on the show tonight and he would get me 5-10 minutes in a show which is unheard of in this country you just mm. cannot jump onto a show it's impossible well, so unless you're a, yeah unless you're yeah. a decent name going let me swan in and do this mm. um so I, that was really lucky and then, then comedians are always taught you know we were all encouraged to try different things try improv try stand up try musical comedy just try everything so that way we'd always have a broader idea of what audiences understood about comedy and what we understood about comedy so mm. they, I do think they sort of fold into each other as well like I know that my old days of writing stand up material has come into doing silent comedy because I'm using the same structures and gags and formats like they're all the same sort of tools it's just how you use them really that's it. So, sorry. Sorry to rewind and go back. What did management think? Uh, there was yeah, no management. <laughs> That's the short yeah. answer. Um, well, no, okay, yeah. now I've got like four more questions. Oh, good. <laughs> you just opened up a can of worms there. Okay, 
let's quickly answer this right so no one has management in New Zealand oh no they do now because at the time New right. Zealand comedy wasn't so big it was we were doing well our comedy club was happening we were doing university tours and that sort of thing but then comedy got very cool thanks to people like Flight of the Concords uh, so that yes. that became great and then television started happening for in New Zealand so there was a TV show that just started called Seven Days and it kind of just made comedians cool so nice. and it's still going now comedy is very cool it's like one of the number one shows in television in New Zealand so then suddenly people started getting management there was a, a couple of people popped up and said I'm going to be a manager of comedians and so yeah there's I think three agents in New Zealand and that that's enough yeah so, because you know the scene is the comedy club the classic is open enough that you don't need management to get a gig there you just need to have enthusiasm and scott scott's almost like the the management to everyone is like he's he's there just to encourage comedy because he loves comedy like right. he's he's not well only my comics can work here he's just everyone's allowed a gig so yeah so Scott runs... What's Scott runs the, the Classic, the Comedy Club in New Zealand. And that's the comedy... It, it was the comedy club, and it's been the home of New Zealand comedy for the better part of, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. It's pretty classic, as is the name. Mm. Uh, but now there's a couple more comedy clubs that have popped up. There's one just opened by another comedian called Vaughan King in Wellington, and mm. so there's a comedy club there. And then there's all sorts of uh, once-a-month kind of pubs pop on a comedy night, and they're all they're very well organised and, and supported by New Zealand comedians. So, yeah. How, how often then could you gig at that time when you first started? Oh, when I was working, I, I, was, I was a full-time comedian when I moved to Auckland. So I, was, I would always gig in the weekends and then there would be private functions and corporate work that I'd be able to get. And a lot of that work did come through the comedy club. So Claire, the Scott, would, he would still be booking his acts out there and he would get an offer because he was the people that people would call asking, we want to have our own comedy show. And he'd go, well, here's four comedians and off they go. Right. And I think also because I was doing something different, being the tennis racket and nails guy, then I would go out and, and go into that. And also with a street performing background meant that I had all of my own gear, of my own amps, my own mic, so Scott could always know that I could turn up to any space and do a show, like no matter what. I would always be able to put on a show for however many people in whatever environment. Right. And so, so full-time, can you define what full-time meant then? Just because it, it means different things in different areas depending yeah, on how well, much you Yeah, well, my, my version of full-time is also different because I had a, a once-a-week show at the casino, Sky City Casino. So on Tuesday nights, I did something called the NCB Comedy Hour, and I'd, I was the host of that for six years. It was also known as the Soul Destroyer because it was one of the <laughs> worst gigs on the planet. It was in the casino, so you'd have this stage, cabaret seating, and then nothing but uh, pokey machines noisily going on in the background. And uh, yeah, it was it was like a, it was an indoor street show for gambling addicts. So I would go out there, bring in a crowd, sit them down, and then put acts in front of them, and we'd all go home at the end of the night. But from that gig, with it being a casino, I charged them a lot of money to do it, <laughs> and I technically I could have lived off that for the week, but I decided I needed to do other performing to keep my brain sane. So that's when I would go down to the comedy club and do spots, and it would, you'd pick up some extra money here and there, and yeah, like I said, corporates and private functions. Mm. So, so you start. So you won an award, and yes. you thought, "Fuck the system." <laughs> yeah, I hate this award. I'm going to go the complete opposite way and put. Wh- okay, what was the point about like tape? What, the tape what, originally came about. Well, the, the yeah, the tape came about because of a Tim Burton book called "The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy." It's a series of poems and a short story. And there was a story in that called "The Boy with Nails in His Eyes," and it's essentially a little poem about the boy with nails on his eyes. He puts up a Christmas tree and he couldn't see it, but it was beautiful. And I loved the idea of a name that spells out the entire thing. So that's where the boy with tape on his face—it was just the obvious, obvious kind of name. And yeah, then it was just the the 
the tape it was almost like a joking suggestion as well backstage in the green room of going like I ruined the show by talking to an audience well I need to force myself to shut up so the tape stops me talking how, how old were you when you started doing that iteration of The Boy? 2005, so that would... I'm useless with my age because I tend to forget it. About uh, a decade ago, what year? Yeah, I'm, I was born 78, so that I am 37 this year. So 27. Yeah, 27, like that. So, because this is like an odd question, but The Boy... Uh, like, when you say boy, you yes. imagine someone quite young. Yes. Do you I'm f- hanging on to that yeah. for dear life. <laughs> do, you, do you think they'll get to a point where you'll have to change to the man or you, or, you, uh, or you won't be able to do the act anymore? Because I think, well, I, again, this comes back to evolving. You have to evolve or, or you die. And that, that's, for me, I am evolving the show. So I'm soon going to, I think, get rid of the boy with tape on his face completely and evolve to just tape face. Because that's what people call me anyway, which yeah. is really strange because the boy with tape on his face is a great title. But everyone, when they go, when we catch up and I want to ask them about some ideas or discuss shows and work, they go, oh, I'm catching up with tape face for coffee. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to go see tape face. Have you seen tape face? It's like, mm. it's the name that kind of instantly sort of sits. Yeah. yeah. And also because I'm trying to open up the show to a, a worldwide demographic, I want something which is very easy and internationally understood and recognisable and at the same time a wee bit confusing to go what is tape face yeah yeah I understand this tape face yeah Yeah, you can imagine headlines like yeah tape face comes to town yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) plague of tape face attacks (laughs) (laughs) do you ever does anyone ever turn up with tape on their face like I had one guy do it on a tour show (laughs) and it was the creepiest thing on the planet (laughs) my support act went out bless him Phil Buckley and he did 15 or 20 minutes with this other guy in the front row with costume on and tape on his face and he pointed him out and said he looked like an idiot and it was creepy and eventually before I started the show it was a bit weird and I had to get the ushers to ask him to take the tape off because it was just strange staring at this guy looking exactly like me it was very odd I didn't, yeah. like, didn't like that. No. I assume you didn't use him as a... <laughs> no, no, he, he had enough attention on him. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, that's it, because the first time we ever spoke, we were at a BBC thing, and I remember talking to you about your comedy uniform, yes. if you remember that. Yeah, and, yeah. always have a comedy uniform. Because I remember yeah. you, yeah, you, got, you liked that turn of phrase. Yeah, and it's great, because it means I don't have to think. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, that's the thing, because like, uh, since then I've, I've read a book uh, called Moonwalking with Einstein, and it's oh. all about memory, mm-hmm. and it's about how you, you remember stuff, yeah. and you remember stuff basically your, your memory makes uh, pockets of uh, new memories based around unique stuff okay. so like lunch would always be batched into different lunches but then like the one day you go to like a really fancy restaurant for lunch that's a good lunch it stands out yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly that's your agent important lunch, lunch yeah. Yeah, yeah. important lunch yeah. yeah exactly but so so obviously having something unique but consistent yeah. makes you easy to remember yeah absolutely also is it is it quite nice when you get a take it off and you're sort of like I'm not at work anymore oh absolutely yeah when you lose the stripes and the tape, at the same time I can't wear stripes like now I can there's you know when stripy tops are in fashion and all shops and bits and pieces <laughs> I hate them with a passion I, whenever I put any form of stripe on it's like this is the show's top I can't even mm. different variations it's like no stripes can't be worn and even my wife she doesn't wear stripy tops that much because it's like oh you're wearing a tape face top oh, it's that, so that's what we call it it's a tape face top yeah. so yeah it does ruin it to a degree so yeah does it also feel quite nice that you can like walk around I mean oh. how often do you get noticed when you're not I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that sense where most people recognise the character more than me and most people don't recognise me without tape on my face which is quite good uh, and then also you know chucking a piercing I used to wear glasses as well that was great but then I ended up having to get uh, laser surgery just so I could see my audience because <laughs> picking volunteers was getting harder and harder <laughs> yeah yeah. so it was always nice to be able to pop on a lip ring pop on the glasses and it was the, uh, the opposite of Superman to a degree so I'd go from my little superhero on stage to just 
just a normal person walking around. It's great yeah. fun. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, that's a tax writer. <laughs> yeah, well, like, you know, bloody yeah, damn right it was. Bloody expensive. I had to see people. Yeah, yeah, yeah otherwise yeah. the show fails. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, because I know I've got friends who want to be famous. Like that's like they they would like that to be their end Care goal. Of, that's and, not a goal. No, I know it's not, not a goal. But no, I mean it's a byproduct of doing something good anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's one of those things where a lot of people they do want to be famous. They do want the TV show. Yeah. And it feels like I like talking to people. Those people need to be rounded up and put into a small room <laughs> with one camera with no film in it and let them fight it out yeah <laughs> big brother yeah uh, absolutely <laughs> but never open the door yeah 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 there's like big brother mixed with salt absolutely like, <laughs> that's a good that's one show I would actually watch on yeah exactly yeah. but then yeah. they'd get what they want yeah I know <laughs> unfortunately uh, yeah well no because like okay so I mean it's quite nice because I like talking to people who are characters mm. I like talking to people who have something they consistently wear on stage yeah because for me, I mean, I'm trying to find something I consistently wear mm-hmm. so that hopefully I don't get noticed. Not that I do anyway now, because yeah, you... I'm not big enough for that, but you, you, I want to have my own life yeah. when I'm not performing. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine, like, especially you've got a uh, wife, girl? Yeah, wife. Uh, I, I think it's different stuff. with stand-up, though, because you are putting more of yourself on stage. That's right. the thing. You're putting more of your own opinions and your own observations or your own you know, interactions with other people. So you are more you on stage. Mm. So that means you can't really get away from yourself. Unless, or otherwise your audience are then going to say you're not being real on stage and then you're known as a guy who's being a character then you right. become a character you're, you're making the mental choice to go your opinions on stage are not really what you think which right. is tricky yeah. <laughs> but then I also know that there's another comic who tells wonderful fantastical stories and that he sells out shows and DVDs and he was once asked how much of it is true and he didn't answer the question because he didn't want the audience to you know, think that he was making it up right so basically, he answered it by not answering it. Pretty much, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> liar. Yeah, liar. <laughs> so, okay, so I assume, at what point in the four iterations of Tate Face did you start to like really get people to get it, if that makes sense? Um, I think when I first did the Edinburgh season, like I'd always done the show in New Zealand and in Australia, and like I toured it a wee bit there, and it was a, it was a successful show, and I, I was very strategic. If anything, that's been my my little, I would call my secret talent, is I'm very good at strategies and planning and goals. Right. You have to you have to have goals for what you're doing, otherwise you don't achieve anything. Mm. And, and like I have lots of goals, and I tend to tick them all off. And so my goal to come to Edinburgh, uh, I essentially laid out a five-year plan before going to Edinburgh. So the moment I debuted the show in New Zealand in 2005, I was thinking about Edinburgh for 2010. So the, and that all came about because Flight of the Concords won. They got nominated for the Perrier, and that was huge news in New Zealand. Like that was massive. Like that's the biggest comedy award in the world. You you know that's huge, and they were stars. So for me, that was like, I want to I want to win that award. That's all I want to do. So I was like, how can I win that award? I need to go to Edinburgh to win that award. So how can I do that? So it's just working backwards. So develop the show, tour it through Australia, get, not get it seen by some producers and promoters. So when it came time for me to come to Edinburgh, I was then able to really pick and choose where I wanted to be at what time because people wanted me to have the show. And also enough other performers knew about me and knew the show and were always saying, when are you going to Edinburgh with it? When are you taking it to Edinburgh? So when I finally brought it to Edinburgh, they all went out and told everyone, you need to go see the show. Yeah. So that, so that the buzz was already there before we started, which was nice. That's so. true. Yeah, that's that's a good way of yeah. <laughs> well, no, cause I'm just thinking for me Edinburgh yeah. is a big decision but for oh, you yeah. it's such a longer trip oh absolutely yeah it's, it's a bit of a but I'd, I'd moved over here at that point because I'd also in 2007 I gave up uh, comedy completely because I, I completely lost faith in it I, I didn't understand why I was doing it anymore so I'd done The Boy With Tabernacle's Face for a couple of years very successfully in New Zealand and Australia and my, I'd still, I was still doing my other comedy show as well 
but I didn't have any enjoyment in it at all. I didn't know why. It just wasn't fun, so I'd lost all of the spark of it. So for me to sort of find... It was a, my little trick to Mecca was to go, go back to my roots and go, right, I'm going to become a street performer again, because that's how I started right. out with street performing. It's like, so that's what started me becoming a comedian, so then go back to it and rediscover. And so I gave up all indoor performing, moved away from Auckland, back to my hometown Christchurch, and just started busking there with uh, my now wife. She was girlfriend at the time, and she was a street performer as well. And so where the two of us just busked and hung out, and it was wonderful. And then moved over to London to just work in Covent Garden, and just worked Covent Garden every day for, I think, a year and a half, two years. And then slowly more people started hearing that I had this other show, and would I do a spot, and would they see it, and can they see it. And then eventually uh, my agents saw me, and they wanted to sign me, and I've stayed with them ever since, Gag Reflex, who have been great. Um, yeah, and so it was just it was accidentally then I found myself back in a comedy career, that, but this time I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I chatted to Stuart Goldsmith a while mm. ago, who's a street performer, oh, but sure. never mentions it. And, uh, yeah, he, strange, he yeah. never mentions that. I like, you, have to keep, you have to mention that every time yeah, as well yeah, now. Yeah, it's become like this like, ongoing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, he was telling me like he just loves street performing, mm. and I, I'm getting him on soon because I have no idea why he does comedy then, if he loves it that much. And it's kind of into but I mean, it's such a different... Do you ever just then just rock... Like you said, you're currently... I mean, this will go out after Edinburgh, so yeah. no one will know where you are <laughs> during the fringe. Yeah. But you're like overlooking, overlooking the busking the mile. Spots. Yeah, I, I love that spot because I love watching the street performing because I that I love the science of busking. For me, it's such mm. a it's a it's a the politest robbery watching. <laughs> 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 if it's done well, it's really really good because you're watching you know, one person or two people manipulate an entire audience to stop and open up their wallets and give you money. And the, the reason, and again, this maybe is for sure, I don't know, but for me, uh, the what I loved about street performing was the fact. Oh, Actually, no, that's not what I love about street performing. It's one of the byproducts of street performing is that you can do the biggest show on the mile, you can do the biggest show anywhere in, in Edinburgh, and and have a huge audience watching you and and be and be super at the time famous of in, at one moment. I've got problems with bees. I know there's just, a bee yeah. hoovering around. It's great. Yeah, I'll edit that bit out, but it's, I just can't deal with things flying at me. Do you know it's what hilarious. I mean? Hilarious. Um, no, they're just scary. They're just fucking. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, we're off sorry, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the thing about um, street shows is that you, you can get this huge crowd of, you know, up to a thousand people watching you. They all pay you at the end of the show. They're all clapping and cheering, going, you're a hero, you're a star, you're amazing. And then within five minutes, you're completely alone, packing up your gear, and nobody gives a shit who you are. <laughs> and so I think that's the difference is the people who do comedy will start off doing, you know, the open mic circuit, work their ass off in a room for 15 people in the hope that one day they'll be doing the, you know, the bigger rooms and their name, and they've got posters, they've got flyers and all that sort of thing and they're, they're famous and that's, that's what they want they want recognition as well as the product whereas street performers don't care about the recognition they just want the product which is right. a, it's more of a pirate approach I think yeah because yeah. for me street performing is really interesting because like how okay so with comedy mm-hmm. I started out I did 5 minute spots then I did 7 minute spots 10 minute spots 15, 20 yep. carry it on and now yep. I'm doing an hour up here right with street performing, I imagine you can't just go out and do. I'm just going to do five minutes. No, I'm not really. Do like no, a five you, spot on this corner. You like, tend to work you have on to just no. You tend to, you work on your skills. You find someone who'll kind of mentor you to do a show, and you work up a small little show. And you can work in Edinburgh. You can work the Alcos by St Giles, or in London, you can work on the South Bank, just banging out little twenty minute shows. Mm. You want to get enough. You get enough material to do twenty mm. minutes, so you can build a crowd, do a couple of tricks, ask for money, and get it to go away. And then you just slowly build it up from there. And it is just like the comedy thing. You do a thirty minute show, then you do a forty five minute show and then that's all you need there are some street performers out there who have not changed their show in 20 years like they are still doing word for word the same show in Covent Garden that they were doing 20 years ago because it works and nobody cares because they're just that person who 
juggles on a rope on a ladder with a unicycle. That's that's what they do. <laughs> there are comedians like that. Absolutely. If you, if you have a working But 20. everybody knows who they are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the difference. Well, that's, a, that's the interesting thing. I was chatting to a nameless comic. Let's, just, let's <laughs> yeah. leave it as that. But they've been doing this same 20 for ages. Yep. And it's because they're like, well, because the promoters know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to fuck it up. That It works 90% of the time. That's also a a totally valid goal. Like, I have friends who just want to be very good club comics. And it's like, there's a place in the market for being a good, strong club comic. You don't have to do a one-hour show of, oh, my dad's dead, my cat's here, my (laughs) one or whatnot. It's just not not a reason for doing an Edinburgh show. And so many people think that that's a reason to do a show. I've got to get my hour ready. Got to get, it's like, why? What what are you going to do afterwards? What are you going to do afterwards with your hour? You, yeah. If you have the profile to go touring, that's great. But otherwise, why why are you writing this hour? Write material, all great, but you know, bank it away for a rainy day. And, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then when you're gone, when you're in a position to do your hour, go for it. Do your hour. Yeah, yeah. It's totally like you said. It's forward planning. Yeah. And a lot of, I mean, a lot of people I've met who are early on sort of go, yeah, I'm just going to go and do a freehander, or yeah, I'm going to then work up for my hour. And you're like, but why do you want to do that yeah, hour? Yeah. What you is need the to know. point of the show? And yeah. And it's, it's really nice to like, because uh, so far, I mean, I had Joe Lysett on a while ago and, and uh, he didn't really comment on this. And it's nice to know that you had this kind of plan. Oh, yeah, you've got to, for me, you have to have a plan. Yeah. <laughs> it's always got to be going forwards or going somewhere else. You know, yeah. there, there has to be a, an end game. And doing, doing a show, it's like the famous thing. Being famous is not an end game and doing a show is not an end game. Mm. You know, that, that should not be a goal as to, I want to do a show. It's like, well, you have to know why you're doing a yeah. show and what is the show going to give back to you at the end of it. Yeah. So, uh, your aim was to win the Perrier Award. Oh, well, at the time, that was the initial goal was to I wanted to win the Perrier, and that, that, so that was a nice kind of benchmark. If anything, they they become like little markers that you go, I want to win the Perrier. Boom. Okay, I want to do this. I want to do that. Like I've never won the Perrier, and I don't think I ever will, which is as frustrating as all hell. And that's, <laughs> the thing is that the goalposts are allowed to move, but I, and the goal was there, which meant that I got to do the shows, which got me to the position to then be allowed to change the goal like, yeah, and the other thing is that just because you put the goal down and go okay I didn't achieve the goal but I've done all this other stuff that got me here they are achievements like I can't completely undermine myself and go oh I didn't get the main prize oh well doesn't matter yeah it's the whole shoot for the stars yeah. and if you don't that wanky yeah, yeah, like, whatever it is yeah the journey blah 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 yeah, blah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it, but, it's, but it's true you're like, a winner yeah. and a loser at the same time <laughs> not not quite as catchy yeah, 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 <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. But you've lost at the thing you want didn't yeah want, yeah but, but yeah. I achieved uh, how, and in some cases it was only in losing the prize that it made me realise that I'm actually I'm far happier being the loser than actually winning it because <laughs> in some cases had I in the year like it's almost yeah I wasn't able to be eligible for the prize because my venue was too big and it's right. like, oh, okay, so I'm selling too many tickets. That's a problem. That's my problem. Okay, that's the, there are worse problems out there in Edinburgh is having too many people seeing your show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I've got worse problems than that. <laughs> yeah. um, that's amazing. So, okay, so you, so you came up here. You had a great show. Gag mm. Reflex. No, did you contact them? Did they just come down? They, your... um, I was seen by one of their former clients in, in Australia. And, and essentially the client contacted his agent saying, you need to see this guy, you need to see this guy. And then when I came back over, I just was, I was busking. And then the, the comic contacted me and said, would I do a tour support spot for him so his agent could see me? And then I did this one show, and, and Lee at Gag said, yeah, it's, he liked it. We had a meeting. And, like, I'd been talking to some other agents at the time and just sort of feeling out who I had a good vibe with. Mm. And what I liked about Gag Reflex was that they were they were the most true to the show that I liked. Like, he's we, we've talked lots, and he's got he's got the show's interest at heart rather than making money. 
right. which is quite nice. You know, they, they, we we talk about where do we want to take the show, what's right for the show, what's right for the character. You know, and some you know, even some TV spots that I've been offered, it's we'll, we'll have big discussions about should I do this or not because is it been yes, it's beneficial to get the profile and go on TV, but at the same time, it's like well now I'm associated with this character and this person and whatnot. So it's like well let's turn that one down. I don't want to do that because that's not good for me. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So it's it's good to have an agent who's who's also got the long game approach in mind. Like he he'd rather than going there is you know there's some agencies out there who would just go go now where's our commission go now where's our commission it's like I don't want that yeah right and Aventus, I mean like the other agents you don't need to mention who they were but the other agents w- w- what made you feel like they wouldn't necessarily have it was to- more of a, a business kind of approach to it that I didn't really go for for me I've got um, and maybe this is my kind of street performer mindset I treat everything very much like a mafia which is, is a nice-ish mafia but don't fuck with me or I'll really hurt you uh, <laughs> that's a fairly nice you, way you of putting it, it on the <laughs> yeah. we'll make sure you have it all covered so yeah um, so yeah, it's that thing of going. I'm I'm also with the, the, my approach, and this to be my approach. Life is that if I have my word to something, then I will stand by it and do it until I die to a degree. So it's like if yeah, I treat my agents like a family, you know, and even all of the other clients in the agency are they're all family. Our goal is to all help each other yeah. and and all equally share whatever, mm. which is is the way to do it. And with gag, it was like Lee had the. And Dave came down as well for this meeting, and we just sat around and essentially we just got drunk, and it was great, and it was more kind of chatty and nice and normal, and and you could just tell straight away that they were good, honest, good people. They were the good guys, mm-hmm. and it was the other. And whereas the other ones, you had that vibe of they just wanted to make the money, and they they saw potential in the character and the product, and they were very much looking at it as a product. And I'm happy to be looked at as a product, but I have to be looked at as a human being first. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. Because that's that's really because I mean. As a as, as someone who plays a character, yeah, you might be able to detach yourself from it and think that is a product, yeah. But it's interesting. Is it just because you've done it for so long now? It's part of you that it still seems like a person, or is it? Be- oh, there's definitely there is a person of the boy with tape on his face who I can switch into and think that way to a degree. But um, when I become me, I'm very, you know, I, I'm a incredibly serious boring person as well <laughs> I'm not all full of whimsy and light things it's like some of my <clears throat> my favourite you know style of comedy is incredibly dark and horrible comedy like most people expect me to like oh unicorns and rainbows and ponies la 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 no no I like the most darkest horrible thoughts are really really funny <laughs> who, who are yours I'm, I'm a big fan of like uh, Frankie Boyle and Jimmy Carr and, and that sort of thing and uh, just I like good quality offensive comedy you know offensive yes. comedy that is thought through I, I really enjoy and someone who can really back up their opinions is nice yeah so yeah it's it's fun I definitely know what you mean because there's a lot of comedians who just go oh well that that has a setup and a punch and therefore it's funny yeah so it's worth saying and yeah. you're like well no that's just going to be offensive to a group and yeah, like, that's yeah but that's what I am I, I want to see the comedian get get the heckle from the audience going that is inappropriate that is wrong and then argue the point to turn the heckle yes. around it's like that's wonderful that's great fun yeah, yeah, yeah changing yeah. people sometimes <laughs> I want to do that but the thing is as a, as a fellow performer I do get paranoid they'll come to mind and go well you, you came to this. mind yeah. Yeah. now I'm you're saying know. this yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and you're like well Hypocrite. yeah I can back it up but like it's just, you know what I mean yeah. it's like it's awkward and you you sort of feel like this uh, I don't know level of colleague workmateness that you yeah. sort of say yeah. even if you're a bit like that you wait till after yeah and have a quiet word yeah 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 yeah, yeah. absolutely it's uh, it's interesting I mean like have you have you ever have you ever heckled a person that you thought was particularly um 
No, actually, no. There was one act in New Zealand I heckled, which was just it was a uh, two guys who were they were just trying to be famous, and it turned out they were they were filming a mockumentary that went on TV as <laughs> about trying to become famous, and they went on stage and they just wasted the audience time, and right. and yeah, I ended up yelling something I can't remember what, but I just got so frustrated with them wasting. Like I don't want to see anybody waste an audience's time. No, and, uh, no. the, the people are paid money to come and see a show, give them a show. Don't don't like I I want to say don't improvise, <laughs> but that was offensive <laughs> offensive to all improvisers everywhere. Uh, it's that thing of don't go out there with nothing planned or no no thoughts in your head of comedy or no intention of giving the audience what they want. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. L- last year I saw an improvisation show and I remember leaving thinking they didn't know that improvisation doesn't mean just do yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it, was, it was like you definitely... I mean, it yeah. felt like they had some stuff planned, but it yeah. definitely didn't feel like an hour yeah, of stuff. Yeah, you have to was... give the audience their ticket price worth of entertainment. I was a free yeah. show. I was oh, well, that's exactly why I was like... <laughs> that I felt like I couldn't complain. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay, so... Um, so, so at this point in time in, in this narrative mm. you've, you've done your 2010 show you've got yourself some management they've sort of uh, you know you've, yep. they've sort of seen Profiles you as a human bumping up a wee bit yep. yeah and where did, where did you want to go from there and where did management want to take you from there um, we, the we, we, we sort of just talked about just doing more shows it was always about then, then goalposts shifted to what I dreamed of doing as a kid which was Royal Variety which was really nice so that was, that became I just I have a little book of ideas of what I want to do and things from, and performances I want to try out mm. uh, so he would just chip away at these little goals of getting contacts and getting me onto these shows <coughs> And then it was always about touring and just building my audience. So it was just getting out and doing the show. Like I'd, I'd been doing the show in New Zealand for a few years, but in the UK, there's just so many more opportunities to perform. And like to be going around art centres and constantly working the UK was great. So I did a national tour, then we did another, a slightly bigger national tour, and then it was just a case of writing more material and coming up with a second show. Mm. Mm. Okay, and it's kind of an odd question, and don't take it the wrong Go. way, but. Okay, so when I have an idea for a joke, I write it down, I tend to leave it for probably a week, and then go back to it, and then if I still think that's a funny idea, I'll try and write something, and then I'll go to an open mic night or whatever and try it. Yeah. I can't imagine you doing that as a thing. Imagine a room full of boxes, <laughs> and inside those boxes are things that look funny. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's what I've got. I've got a I've got a little studio room that is full of plastic boxes of props that I've bought from junk shops and places and and all sorts of oddities and also hardware stores. It's like I find things that are, are just yeah normal looking, and I think this is going to get intense. Uh, walking tour. Hmm. Do you want to do a show? No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, I, find, I find props in like, these shops. My favourite shop was now closed, which was the best one called Red Rocket, and they sold everything, which was incredible. And so I'd, I'd buy, I'd go in there and pace the aisles buying like seven plungers and toilet seats and bits and pieces, and, and then I'd just shove them in a box. And then i go, I think that's funny. There's, there's some rubber gloves and a toilet plunger or a, a toi- yeah, toilet brush and some, yeah, what have I got at the moment? I created the Funbrella, which is those droning t- <laughs> a droning toy that goes so I attach that to an umbrella when you spin it it just creates this wonderful noise so that's the fun umbrella I don't know what it does but it's funny (laughs) so yeah it's just these things that I think are are good and then I've also got my iTunes library and Spotify playlist where I just collect music of just going there's something funny in that whenever I hear 500 miles by the proclaimers there's something else there that I yeah. know it one day I will do a joke with 500 miles and it's like I have to do that you heard it yeah. here first <laughs> it's going to happen yeah. it's an exclusive <laughs> well now I, okay because like how long because how I mean I remember you saying something similar in a different interview where you said your wife just basically locks you in a room oh uh, yeah that was and, the second show yeah. yeah and like basically you're not allowed out until you have something yeah and how I mean for me so like in the run up to this show 
I remember, so it's that whole creative process thing where like you leave it all to pretty much the last yeah. minute. It doesn't feel like you can do that. I No, I did. Oh, okay, <laughs> Essentially, with the second show, More Tape, I booked that into the Adelaide Fringe Festival before I had the show. So we were committed to going there, and I was on tour with the first show. And I remember having a really intense discussion with my wife saying about how I don't think we can go to Australia because I don't have a show. And then it was like, well, she just that was the locking me in the room in October kind of thing. And it's like, you have to come up with something. Good luck. Mm. And then it's just a whole bunch of ideas very quickly thrown together. And it worked, which was nice. It was a, a panicked evolution. Yeah. And I had just the right tool and the right music at the time to make something work and then I was lucky to have Australia and New Zealand to try it out yeah. like, that's the thing I tend to take, I tend to do all of my work and progress on, on the other side of the world because I kind of feel like over here I've got such a, a, a broader audience of people who have seen the show I don't want to give them the uh, this sounds horrible for New Zealand and Australian people I don't want to give them the sub um, the, the byproduct of just me mucking around I right. want to give them the good show and muck around over there but then I tend to go back to New Zealand and Australia a few years later and go this is how what you should have seen. <laughs> this is how it was supposed, supposed to look. Only like three or four percent of my audience is there. You'll be fine. That's all right. That's yeah. all good. They yeah. might they might pass it round. Ah, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so th- that's really interesting. So so you so you booked a t- you booked a load of shows or you booked a fringe festival. Yep. Book a fringe in Australia and, and some shows and, in New Zealand. Yep. And you've been locked in a room. Yeah. So when so when you so say at the end of the day, your wife's sort of gone. Are you, are you ready for dinner? Like, can you come out? And she lets you out. Do you just go cool? You sit there. I'm going to put some tape on. I'm going to show you what I've done. Or is it not so much the tape on I tend to go here's an idea what do you think of this and I go here's a puppet look at this or here's I'm thinking of doing this and then it it was very much a case I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So if she would laugh, then it was funny. Then I would know I wanted something. If I had to explain it to her, I'm not doing the right thing. It's like there was a set, I worked for ages on a, a set of legs that I wanted a volunteer to wear, and the legs would hang in front of them, and I would control the feet with the massive arms in the back, that, and I wanted them to dance to river dance. And that was the whole, I was fascinated with the idea of somebody standing there awkwardly while I controlled their legs. And that evolved from there, me going over and over, I want to do this, I want to do this, and then she was just going, I need to let it go, it's not funny, let it go. And then eventually I, I scaled, it was like, well, what is funny? What do I want to see? I want to see legs moving. So I scaled it down and I made a tiny puppet that had legs that I controlled, which worked. Right. And then she just went, yes, that's right, do that. 
so that's I can Because for me, what what you do, and this is mm. not meant offensively, when when what you do, if I explain it to someone, it they <laughs> laugh at the absurdity of the explanation. So like, I oh. remember one of the first things that I saw of yours that I fell in love with was you dancing with yourself with like a cape. Oh yeah, the, the See, that's a very yeah. bog standard old mime classic. And oh, I think, okay. Yeah, the, if anything, I kind of feel like the only part of that routine that I've put my own take on is the the the, the repetition of grave in the ass and then yes. maybe pulling the bra out. Yes. That's my own little take on it. Like there's so many routines. I think Charlie Chaplin even did the coat arm thing as well. So oh, okay. Yeah. No, fine. Well, apparently I don't have no. the, the mime knowledge, the mime, the, mime background, the mime history. So well, yeah. this is why you're doing so well in this circuit. It's because <laughs> nobody of us knows. Know. <laughs> you're just doing what Charlie Chaplin did. <laughs> but like, so so when I explained that to someone, I remember getting halfway through the explanation. I just went, "Oh fuck it, I'll get I it up on YouTube. This, yeah. I'll just get it up." You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? And they watched it and they loved it. And it was like, yeah. "This is really fun and like weird and like interesting to watch." Yeah. And, it, and it's funny, but it's not like can't describe it you joke have to watch funny it. do you know yeah, what I mean yeah. no and that, that makes sense I think then also, that's good for me because then it's easier then and also as an advertising tool people you you say to people you have to see it you have to see it yeah. The, yeah. The, and we also say the less you know the more you will enjoy it that's yeah. the other thing so if you go into it knowing nothing about the show then you have a completely pure experience which mm. is quite nice well, that I mean, because we were talking about social media before we mm-hmm. before we got on here, and a lot of comedians are against uh, people torrenting and then like sharing their their Content, clips and yeah. stuff. But I imagine that has helped you uh, to a degree. Well, the YouTube side of it hasn't so much. Like, I try and keep as much off YouTube as possible because that, otherwise people know the joke. Like, I do a routine with the oven gloves, so I put oven gloves on my hand and then sort of move them around uh, and sing endless love. <laughs> and uh, and so the moment that sort of Got started going around YouTube quite a lot and getting on some TV shows. Whenever I pulled the gloves out, I could feel the audience go, "Oh, it's this bit," and then it's a long minute thirty of me doing, "Oh, this bit." So, so everyone's staring at me. We all know the joke, and we all have to move on. So it's 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 tricky in that sense for me. But whereas the social media side, I think you have to. I, I prefer engaging with my audience. So, okay, that's it. So, have you thought about? I mean, so you would prefer if people didn't share. I think yeah, clips of you. not sharing the the content exactly, but sharing the uh, the the world of Tapeface is quite good. Sharing the idea of telling your friends, going, "I want go see this guy, go see this guy," but rather than going, "Here, watch this," and then go see this guy, and then they go, "Yep, he did exactly what you showed me." Because uh, that's the other thing about my routine is that I I'm lucky enough that I don't have to change it that much. Yeah, I can see why that is useful, but also what you do feels sometimes like a like a classic album yeah so like you could watch it online and then watch it in real life watch in real life yeah. and it's better in real life like on an album where yeah. you like seeing the artist live yeah, yeah but you don't it's not like it so like there are some comedians i'll go and see once i'll enjoy it but i <coughs> but i don't want to see them like a hundred times yeah whereas with you you feel like you could come back and see this guy clowning and because he brings people up and it's always yeah, you're different watching that yeah. yeah and you're so you're watching your friend's reaction to it as well which yeah. is quite fun yeah no there, there is that element to it which is it's great for me because that does mean i have managed to get a long more longevity out of the shows than most comics like i've the show that i have recently been touring back into canada was uh you know it's their first show so it's 10 years old and it's still funny and still people laugh at all the right points and I, I imagine I can still probably get away with doing that in different countries for the next 10 years yeah. so it's, it's quite fun I just need to go where there's different audiences and more people it's totally. quite nice and uh, you were saying before like how you're using um, joke structures mm. that are the same as comedians yeah now I uh, this, this is only because I don't know how you're doing <laughs> it but for me I don't know what you mean by that because for me I you know like a like a one-liner joke is but yeah. or like a longer joke is like da-da-da, absurdity da-da-da-da, or whatever ah. 
with you- for me it was more about like the first show if you put the two side by side the first show is more uh, one liner based comedy because it's like I get a volunteer up I do one joke and then they go away next volunteer up we do and there's short little vignettes most of the jokes are at most two minutes long whereas the second show and but then the first show also has the, the same comedy structure of running gags and structure of a finale that is planted at the start of the show that you want to do so everything's neatly tied up at the end of the show yes. and there's, you've got your reoccurring characters or reoccurring themes throughout and I kept that in the second show of a red button and volunteers and that sort of thing but the second show started becoming more longer form joke telling where I would get a volunteer up to do one routine and the joke would happen and then they would stay there to get more volunteers on stage to add to it so that then it, for me it became more of a, a story based show yeah so that's what it was for me right and do you feel do you feel the audience has moved with you, or do you think you've you've changed like you've lost and gained some different people as you've moved? I think there's always a, you always lose and gain people, which is the the, the I think you have to. No, that's always just comes back to evolving as a performer. And I th- I'm sure that when I bring out Tape Face Nine, <laughs> there will be a, a whole completely a whole completely different audience again. Like that's the thing you have to. Otherwise, you're just going to end up being the the person who does that same style show over and over and over, preaching to the choir of your hardcore fans and it's like mm. I would rather try and tap a new audience every single year and go I'm introducing a new character to, and also bringing the people who want to see the evolution like I'm sure there are people who are, who are going to say I preferred it when you did it this way and it's like that's good why don't you go do it that's why I'm doing it because it's, it's fun for me I want to see I want to see what Tapeface will do in this this sort of form of evolution you know it's um like how many Batmans are there there's there's so many different variations of Spider-Man it's like you want to see a different version you want to see the the different jokes done in their hands and also for me writing in a different headspace like the the show that I've written for the one-off show in Edinburgh it's so surreal and so strange that I can't imagine my old tape face character doing it at all because it's just too weird it's too too odd okay Hmm. and does that reflect in the marketing then like when you because Go on, sorry. Yeah, no, it does. Absolutely, it wouldn't do in the marketing because the first the first version of the boy with tape on his face is such a kind of clean boy next door doing this surreal, silly, playful clown show. And then the marketing as we're getting... It's almost like the boy's growing up. That's kind of the easiest way to think of it. So becoming tape face meant that, you know, he's becoming a wee bit more teenagery, a wee bit more... I think a wee bit more confident with just being who he is. Like, I'm, I'm enjoying audiences looking at the character and me finding funny moments out of audience members with nothing else, which is really, really fun. And then it becomes more of a genuine experience of a show. That's the other thing, is to create a show that is a complete audience interactive immersive experience from the moment you get your ticket and you're standing in the queue this should be something happening or the audience should be the, the audience needs to start shifting gear into the mindset of tapeface at that point mm. yeah and and you were talking about like in, engaging with your audience and mm. like chatting with them and i remember talking to you again briefly before we got on we talked a lot briefly yeah. before we got on, like, <laughs> um it was a great we, we got the secret of comedy it was amazing yeah. um yeah. 49.95 you can do it <laughs> <laughs> go to tapefaceboy.com yeah. um but yeah so you were talking about because I, I said that your Twitter feed mm. only follows like eight accounts. Yes, and you said that's because it's a business account. Yeah, very much so. And yeah. I mean, do you want to elaborate on? Uh, well, the the tape. I've got my own personal account where I do get to say anything I want, and those of you who do follow <laughs> that will see some of the comments that are just ridiculous. And I t- and I genuinely talk with friends on that Twitter account mm. of just banter and nonsense. Whereas the Tapeface account, like that's gone through several evolutions. When I first ever went onto Twitter, I used to tweet in Morse code because I thought that was funny. But then you cannot <laughs> say a lot with you know 140 characters of Morse code. So it went from I then started tweeting as normal, 
And then people started criticizing my tweeting because they didn't want to hear my voice, which I found hilarious <laughs> <laughs> because it was like you're hearing a voice inside your head that they were then pushing onto me. It's like they, they didn't like the idea yeah. of me being able to talk. So after much discussion and kind of open debate on social media, we, we came to a, a massive conclusion that I should tweet in the third person. <laughs> and so for several years, I, I tweeted as the boy is doing this, the boy thinks that. Yeah. And But then it meant that I had to very much think about what I was tweeting so and and also my character wouldn't I don't as a nine-year-old boy with tape on his face or as my brain thinks in the show I don't tweet about public opinions I don't tweet about current events because it's not I don't want to bring that into my world the boy the boy wouldn't almost have any opinions no on those not at things. all no not on the side doesn't care for any wars any problems any people any countries any sex any nothing it doesn't you know boys more interested in I've got oven gloves yeah. want to see this <laughs> that, that's very it's much it's good to know the boys yeah. anti-war to a degree yeah <laughs> to a degree I suppose that's where it was a wee bit more whimsical and unicorns and whatnot because it was very safe yeah. but then now it's become because I'm also trying to step up the show and partially step away from it like I very much want to put a block between me and the show so the tape fate no, the the account now is tweeting tape face dot dot and then a little bit of a sentence and sometimes just some random stuff for fun and that's um and and how has that worked for you like in engage- i mean so okay when did you join twitter oh no idea 2008 okay maybe? so this was before your first edinburgh show yeah so were you using that to build a bit of an audience and a buzz before the show mm, or? I, no i just had it i didn't really know what i was doing with it yeah it was right. one of those things why I, I i think we started realizing after edinburgh run that twitter was a viable advertising tool and then in, in regards to social media i tend to put twitter at the top of the food pyramid and like my facebook account for people who follow that it's it is a dumping ground i, I can't stand facebook at all it's a horrible thing uh, but it's a good good phone book. That's all it is for me. It's a phone book and a messaging service. But uh, everything that goes onto my Facebook page is literally a, a push from Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, you get all the information first. And I tend to engage with people quicker on Twitter, whereas for Facebook, I've got to log in, go to the page, open up, see who's commented, and then go through the comment. I still go there, and I still comment, and I still engage with people because I don't want people to go, he never replies on this. It's like you have to still engage with people who are wanting to engage with you. But my first port of call is always going to be Twitter because that's the most instant. You tend to get the most, the, the quickest response and the instant reaction on that. And what, and what else have you tried then in terms of trying to build oh. an audience and marketing? Well, it's also interesting in different countries what's stronger. Like in Australia, Instagram is bigger than Twitter. So that, yeah. that, uh, and I don't really have Instagram that much. So it meant that I had to up my Instagram uh, sort Ten. of... You, yeah, absolutely. So I got, had to get two accounts on that, one for a personal, for my own sort of life and whatnot, and then one which was Tapeface, which then becomes about, well, what does Tapeface want to take photos of? This is a whole different thing. It's yeah. like, yeah, how does Tapeface see? So a lot of my Instagram pictures, are they tend to be just black and white and a lot of filters chucked over them kind of thing to grayscale them up. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's a, and then or anything that sort of pops out, you, like there was, what was that, Aloe came about for a while and came and went but then when when there was the risk of twitter or facebook you know closing down accounts with people with no names and it was like well i'll get on allo and i'll boost the hell out of that to try and get a lot of followers very quickly and then everyone just went back to facebook yeah yeah i mean i can imagine you doing really well on vine vine yeah i I tend not to again it's the i'm never organized enough to create the content because that's the other thing is that if i do vines people want to see the costume and the character and i'm not carrying the costume and character around (laughs) with me all the time we talked for ages me and ages about i should always have a roll of tape in my bag so i can quickly take a photo or if i need to it's just like i can't be asked doing that so a lot of photos i just put my hand in front of my mouth and that that's my token kind of that's me being tape faced when i'm out and about in public yeah yeah. but yeah vine is a good one but it's just creating content you just have to be so onto it and have the time and the 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 ideas for it and for me i just rather read a book 
<laughs> that's fair. That's yeah. I mean, like I said to you, my, my day job's in social media. Yeah. And like generally what we what I do is I'll plan a month's worth of content ahead of yeah. time and then schedule it out. Yeah. And then that way you don't... I do that for my own Twitter. Like yeah. I just schedule my... Tw- I don't know what's going out today. Like yeah. just because it's easier for me to like write 20 tweets, put them out and, and then not sit there. Yeah. But then check it at the end of every day and see if someone's replied. Yeah. And like that. some people, like new people sometimes go, I took you nine hours to respond to my witty response. And I'm like... Yeah, but I didn't see I, it. I'm not. I'm not on it all day. Like I'm on yeah. it. Like if you, if you, if like someone I follow tweets me and it like gives me an alert, I'll yeah. reply and then right I might there. check it. Yeah. But I, I can't spend my day on it. No, I, I, I can't understand how people like Stephen Fry tweet so much all the time. It's like God, you do so much already. How are you on this device all the time? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure like Jimmy Carr's account, he's got a joke that pops up just one liners. Yeah, all the time. So that's like nine o'clock, twelve o'clock, three o'clock every day. Funny mm. that it's always those times. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I, I briefly put my toe in the water of that where I, I got a mate in New Zealand to write some tweets for me and okay. so we did the same sort of thing I just said write me some whimsical tweets and he wrote me you know 2,000 tweets and it's like I, I loaded those in and put them out there and it was it was fine having the content and I think again it's that thing of whenever people would engage with those tweets then I would come into the conversation and respond as me and play along with it but it was I ended up stopping doing that just because I kind of felt like it wasn't wasn't worth it for me just to do it (laughs) I'd rather say something when I had something to say or if I'm genuinely feeling like a boy with table in his face tweet I can tweet it and a thing then yeah because I had a thing two days ago actually because I was out and about Mm. and I had this idea for a tweet I tweeted it and then about a minute later another one went out on the scheduler and it looked weird because I tweeted something about from the Chinese restaurant by the station and then then the next one was a McDonald's one and people thought what the fuck is he doing eating two meals in like five (laughs) minutes I'm like hungry guys I'm hungry Hungry. I'm working hard (laughs) I've got to eat loads of takeaways obviously (laughs) Uh, that's where your bucket money's going Um, but that's good so and and did you just encourage people to follow you or did they look you up I mean how, how did that evolved for you um, I, I started putting my Twitter handle on my cardboard boxes in my show so I, I had, I've, I've had two cardboard boxes on stage all the time and again I was touring with my support act and we you know we got talking about social media a lot and the use of it and then it was just a case of going well I've got these little tiny billboards on stage for the entire show so let's put a sign on them and, and I would pick up followers you know people are sitting in an audience for 15 minutes looking at a box they tend to follow it and tweet or take a photo of me and tag me in it which is fine but yeah, I didn't really encourage people to. Oh, maybe on Facebook I occasionally push it, going, you know, follow me here to get this information. Mm. But not so much, really. Yeah, yeah it's because I mean the hardest part for me is I, I I've found that if you don't ask them or you don't tell them you're there, yeah. a lot of people just like leave and go, oh, he was great, yeah. and then forget your name and forget who you are. Yeah. And to build that relationship, you need to have a constant conversation going on. Yeah. So I, and you don't how should we say have any conversation yeah, on stage on. Yeah. so it just seemed interesting how you would get around that yeah there needs to be another way to do it They're like every show I've seen in Edinburgh this year has been a point where the performer has mentioned I've got a Twitter account or go to this hashtag mm. it's, like, it's just become that's the way of communicating and, and also the Twitter side of things is stronger than some reviews like mm. you know a lot of people are just you know posting tweets and that's getting spread around and that is the new currency of word of mouth mm. like I can't think of a show I last went up to somebody and went you need to go see the show it's amazing like I do that to my small circle of friends but to complete strangers I'm not going to go up to them whereas if I pop out a tweet somebody else retweets it it hits a much broader audience and then the more it sort of goes out there then the more people will go see shows yeah definitely and did you did you like use hashtags for each show then to I've make started sure that- using hashtags like I've started using one for the Christmas special and I've got one that I've got consistent for the developing of my new show called just TF Plans 
And T- so tape face, tape face plans. Tape face plans. TF plans. And right. so anytime I'm working on something for the new show or <laughs> something which is to do with tape face currently for next year's and the bigger show in general, then that's why I'm using tape face plans. Okay, cool. And uh, like in terms of like getting repeat audience back, you said, I mean, well, let's talk about this really quickly. You said that uh, you, you've got a one-off show in Edinburgh. Yes. Which if you're listening to this, you will have missed. You would have missed this one. But it oh, was it was so weird. Good. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> Well, yeah, and you said okay, and you said that like the yeah, like you said, the content in it is weird. Yes, absolutely. It's um, it, it came from a, a character exercise after working with a director on developing new material for uh, a bigger show, and so a lot of the content I. I think it's too weird. And, you know, who knows? It might go into the show. I don't know. Currently, for me, it's too strange. So it's just you that thinks it's strange? Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's too weird. Some of the routines, well, you've missed it, so I'm going to tell you some of them. Uh, like, there's one, I've got a Harrison Ford plate spinning routine. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah, I know. Again, it, try and explain your thing to anyone. <laughs> but then, you know, this now I fall into the category of most audience members where I can't explain it. You have to see it. It makes no, <laughs> it does, and the dumb thing is that I say it makes no logical sense, but when you're watching it, you go, well, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> there's, you know, there's a routine where a Rubik's cube turns into a pig, and I get an audience member to try and solve the pig. It's just very right. surreal and silly. We're throwing party poppers at mimes. We're throwing yeah. strawberries at somebody trying to play swing ball tennis. It's <laughs> it's a really messy, childish show, but it's very much like the. Um, do you remember when David Bowie went to Germany and took a lot of drugs, came back with Ziggy Stardust? That's it. This is this is my this is my <laughs> Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, like, <laughs> I like that optimism. Yeah, that's oh, that's perfect. what it is. Okay. And this is the show that people go if they watch it, they will go, "He's lost the plot." <laughs> and a lot of people, yeah, if reviewers and other agents are going to come to it and go, "Is this what he's doing next year? Is this <laughs> is this what he's doing? Why is he doing this?" Well, what you, happened to the mind? You, you said even your you said that you've told your agent some of the ideas. And yeah, they've and he said, was going, yeah, don't show this to anyone. <laughs> that's really interesting because, like, agents tend to like. I mean, from the agents I've spoken to, like for the pod and for different yeah. things, they say we try and always steer them to make sure that they're going to make the right choices, both for the show, but also so that you can sell it and so our marketing works and stuff. Yeah, and because I suppose because it's a one-off. Yeah, it's fine, and also because we're going into it, we are telling people that don't you know don't expect that this is the show. This is not you know forget everything you know about the boy. Have in space and enjoy this experience. For if anything, this one-off show is more about the advertising side of things. I just want to let people know that the boy with Tavern in space still exists. Like we are, right. and that we are coming back. That we're not going anywhere completely. We do want to. We want the audiences to come with us on this new journey of tape face. So it's just yeah. Putting, putting those people at ease of going we, we haven't stopped just because we're going to other countries although I do say that as well to lots of performers it's like you don't have to go to Edinburgh there are a lot of other countries and a lot of other festivals and there's also a lot of August <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know claim back your August <laughs> oh definitely yeah. I will be doing that next yeah. year yeah. <laughs> I'll be doing Camden and then probably nothing else probably Absolute, go on holiday yeah that's the thing go on holiday you know enjoy it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but you okay so you go to Australia sorry New Zealand and Australia yes. to like test out stuff essentially yeah. I mean are those good audiences for that Would you? oh absolutely yeah, okay. I've got a very good following in both countries and it's, it's quite nice and it's um the festivals that I go to are very well organised and well attended and, and good fun and they also the Adelaide Fringe Festival tends to get a lot of people trying out material anyway for Melbourne Comedy Festival and in New Zealand the the, the, the comedy industry there is very very well supported but, uh, but when you weren't established were, were they, they still the best place to do try out material or yeah that was only because I didn't have any other place to go <laughs> There's no other option. Stay at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I just want because because um, there's I think there's three comedy festivals in Australia, 
and I believe there's only one in New one Zealand. One in New Zealand, yeah. Melbourne so it just, I just wondered if like you'd had any different experiences. Cause well, the, the thing about the Melbourne, uh, the, the, the Melbourne Festival and the Adelaide Fringe Festival is that they're about a month long, each of them. So you really get a chance to run out your show. Right. Whereas in New Zealand, the festival, your show tends to run for five nights only. Mm. So like, and, and that's the other frustrating thing also with Edinburgh, and that's probably why so many performers want to rush here to do it, because they want to do their show every night for a month. Because at the end of that month, after doing your show, you are a better performer. There's no doubt about mm. it. Or you have come to terms that you are not a better performer and you should stop. Uh, but you, there's in this country, in the UK, you don't really get the chance to go to a festival. Like some festivals pop up, you do one night here or two nights there. But to run your show for a month is so valuable. So to have that in Australia for two months and then New Zealand to kind of top it off with tweaks and then you come over here for the fringe and you're, you're pretty much match ready to go, which is mm. quite nice. Yeah, yeah, but you probably hate part of your show by that by then you are <laughs> yes and no see for me with the second show it only all fell into place for me in New Zealand like it took like them my first few shows in New Zealand I did them one off so I did four nights at the comedy club and they were really ropey and then I went to Australia did a month in Melbourne and Adelaide and it was didn't quite fly very well and I came back to New Zealand for a comedy festival and it all clunked into place and it was like okay this is the right show now we've finally figured out the order it works now and then the moment it works, I close the book and never change it again. That's the thing. Once I've found the, the rhythm of it, I, I tend not to rework a show once I've solved it. It's, it's a bit like a Rubik's Cube. It's like you've got to go, right, goes here, goes here, yeah, Rubik's pig. Get it in the right situation, get it in the right position, and then leave it alone because it's, it's correct. And like, I tend to know that from an audience reaction. When the audience have that weird little euphoric moment of just going, yep, that's right, leave it, don't touch it. Do you, do you think that's... Because for me, I, I, my last preview in London... Mm-hmm. It went, it went better than all the other ones. And I remember thinking, solved it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm nailing it. And then the third show in of this run, I did two jokes the wrong way around, ah. or, or the wrong way around, and yeah. it worked better. Ah. And I've carried on with that order, and it has continued to work, be- I better think, better. Time. I, yes, there is, this is where I now go against what I'm saying, because only recently I did a tour into Holland, and I we joked in the bar afterwards my technician and the lighting technician there about one of my old routines and he came the, the, we threw around a joke of going why don't I get a volunteer to do this and it's like I had never touched this routine for 10 years because it was fine and perfect and the next night we tried this new joke and it added to it it was like okay yeah. so there is I think for me it's more about big structure rather than tweaking like I'm sure tweak and change and tiny things but for me it was the getting the order right of what I'm saying in a show like that overall story like there's in my first two shows there are storylines there that nobody knows. Like nobody can see them because I've hidden them away in my own little way uh, because I keep the stories for myself because mm. that's what makes them interesting for me. Mm. And like, I'm sure you know the audiences project so much of their own story into a show mm. and maybe for the next few shows I'll probably write something where the audience can see it a wee bit clearer and then they can come along on the journey with me, which will be quite yeah, fun. Yeah, definitely. And in, t- in terms of... Right, do you... This is an odd question, mm. but do you think you would have achieved where you are now if you hadn't had management? If you just carried on generating your own audience... And, and maybe even booking your own tours? And um, I, I don't think so, not in this country. No, right. because I, I think it's one of those things where you, it's a, you can't, you don't have the doors open, you don't have the contacts, you don't have the emails, you don't... It's also the... the oh God, it sounds stupid. The, you don't get the, the respect, I suppose, of going, I have an agent, or doing this. Like, I remember in New Zealand, I joked at the time of having a pretend agent where I would, you know, if you wanted to book me, I'd say, yeah, just contact this email address, he books all my work, and it was going to be me. So it was just, it's easier to negotiate when it's not you. You can ask for more money, you can be a wee bit firmer, you can get everything on your rider, you can make it work. Uh, but here, I think when you're, 
especially within this country, you need to get television work to be seen, to be recognisable, and that's the thing. And through that, you you will get snapped up by some form of management pretty quick. You can never go at it completely alone, and there will be some point where management will come along and say, we want to get you, we want you. You start getting courted, and then they start blowing smoke up your ass and promising the world to you about, we'll get you this, we'll do this, we'll do that. And that's where I think every up-and-coming comedian needs to be really careful and keep their wits about them. What, what do you mean? Like just In the sense of going, know why you're signing with an agent and what you want them to do for you and also what, what your intentions are. You know, you know your goals, know what you want to do. And if being famous is one of them, then go and die. Uh, <laughs> just, but you should, you know, you want to go, you know, you want to write books. You know, is that your goal really? You want to use comedy to be a device to get into acting. You know, if you're, n- you're not recognisable as an actor, but you can be a good comedian, then suddenly you are now a comedian actor. Mm. There's people out there doing it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah. Do, do you see it as, like, they work for you or you work for them? Or um, I, th- I think we both work for each other, but at the same time, I, like, I've i been very clear with, with my management that if I ever decided I wanted to talk to another agent, I'd be very upfront and talk to him about it first. I would never go off and, and sneak behind his back. It's like a girlfriend. You're not going to go, oh, I'm going to go so I'm seeing another agent. Oh, <laughs> this is exciting. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think... Look all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I think it has to be a case of going, I, you know, why would I want to see another agent? It's because I would want them to offer me something else that my current agent wouldn't be able to offer me. Mm. Uh, you know, anal. Um, <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a name like Gag Reflex, yeah, they are definitely work. offering something. <laughs> yeah, no, whereas then it just comes down to a case of talking to your agent about, you know, I want to achieve this goal and this goal. But then that can always, it always comes back to the client and the performer mm. to know exactly what you want to be doing. It's all good and well for so many agents to go, we're going to get you famous, we're going to put you on TV, you're going to be a star you're going to make lots of money but realistically you're the person who's going to do it because you're going to have to write the content you're going to have to perform it and you're going to have to sleep with the, the fact every night that you're making all your own decisions so like my agents will say to me if i if i'm even making a bad choice i know i do it occasionally <laughs> i do actually quite a lot my agents has a wonderful phrase which he always said tells me as your agent i can only offer you the best advice that i think is for you <laughs> and it's like it's such a wonderful parenting way of doing it where i just go I totally see what you're saying and I get it I totally see that this is the right decision got it it's all good and then I can go away and think about it and go yes he is completely right mm. which is you know nine times out of ten the correct way to go about it but then it's also he's willing to completely let me fuck it up as well like there's no point he will ever say to me you can't do that mm. which is the, that's also very important because that means I still have to maintain some form of power in my own career mm. otherwise I'm just handing over everything and then literally becoming a dancing monkey which is mm. not what I want to be yeah. <laughs> as you would have seen in 2005 <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But like, so this is interesting because you, so you see it as you still have the, some control over your career, but you still need them. Oh, I still need them to to sort it all out. That's the thing. I can only say I want to achieve this goal and this goal, and and I'm the one outlining the goals and saying mm. this is where we're going to go. Like I, I in, in March of last year, I rang up my agents and sort of went, right, I've had too much time on my own. I'm changing plans. I've written a whole bunch of goals. I wrote a 20 year plan of what I want to be doing with wow. my career. Da, da 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 da, and I talked them through exactly what I wanted to do and how I thought we could achieve it. And then at the end of the conversation, it went okay tell me all of that again and then we just went through it all over it again and I just sort of outlined what I wanted to do where I wanted to go how I saw it playing out and then he go, he starts then working to make that happen and then we sort of that comes down to take those plans yeah. so yeah so we've, everything is underway we've got the goals in sight and we go yeah we can make this work so 
okay yeah 20 years is that like year by year month by month or is that like it's the they've initially the first few years are very monthly planned out right. and then they start sort of getting a wee bit foggier and grey but with it, it always comes back to that kind of markers of the Perrier is a marker the Royal Variety is a marker so I can go the first few years I've got lots and lots and lots of markers and then until your 10 years and your 15 years they get further apart and further apart until eventually my final marker is to open a bookshop <laughs> really? Yeah, that's what I want to do is open a bookshop. Okay. Yeah, that's my end game. As in, like, for, like to sell your own books or to sell... Like- oh, just sell books. Yeah, just that's... that's uh, I think that was the thing I realised. What is my goal? My goal is to be... Because ha- for so many performers, they always have that thing where they go, I have to perform because I know nothing else. This is all I've mm. ever wanted to do. And it's like, yes, this is all I've ever known I want to do, mm. but I think I would love to be in a position where I could choose not to do it. That, right. that's, that's a tougher it's a mental switch to go I know I have to perform for audiences because I love it I love getting the kick out of it I love creating material and so many people say to me that I could never give this up because I'd go crazy it's like I would want to get to a position where I can go so crazy that I'm happy to give it up yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I'm really comfortable to go you know what I've, I'm happy to end now and yeah. it's really nice to just go I've done all of that with my career and now it's perfect I can sign off on it without having the need to create it for my own benefit yeah why, why a bookshop Oh, so I've already mapped it all out. It's a tiny little bookshop because I, it's a bookshop with one bookcase that sells about 100 books tops, uh, <laughs> a, a, a rack of clothing that has 20 T-shirts because I like T-shirts, right. and a cabinet of curiosities, very small one, and I make coffee. You can have a black coffee or a white coffee. The, right. shop, the shop is called No Parking, and you can only stay for 20 minutes, and you're only allowed in once a day. <laughs> is that all real? <laughs> that's all real. That will be real. Yeah, that's my goal. That's amazing. That, that's my biggest dream. And so that, that's the thing, and, and clearly with a business plan like that, it will never make any money. <laughs> I was going to say. So I have to work so hard for 20 years to have enough money in the bank that I can have this failing business of a bookshop. That's amazing. <laughs> That'd be ridiculous. I like yeah. that you know. Oh, absolutely. It's going to die on its house, that bookshop. I know my wife and kids are going, what's dad doing with the business? He's ruining it. <laughs> I'm just there screaming at somebody, get out of the shop. <laughs> it's been 19 minutes 57. Minutes, you haven't ever bought anything. Get yeah. out. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So what were they like, book 20 minutes? slots or something I think so yeah or, or you can have more people in but when they come in they get given a timer and then their alarm goes off and they get out there's <laughs> it's horrible there's a cat calf in London right? yes there's one here in Edinburgh now oh, as well really? yeah just opened up the one in London I've been told because I've just booked in for me and my partner because yep. she loves cats yep. and apparently you only get a certain time limit in there as well yeah, you get so one it hour. might work yeah, twenty minutes is probably too short, but you know, twenty minutes with the correct number of books, t-shirts, and, and cabinet, and a cup of coffee, a small bit of banter, you're done. Amazing. <laughs> and do, will they and will they like continue to represent? No parking books or like is it? No, like I a- think I, I would just get books I like, little you know, first editions and anything I find interesting. Little right. yeah, weird little occult books and all sorts of stuff. I just like the idea that Gag Reflex in twenty years just announced we're going into the book going into books. We're uh, going into books. No, this would be my retirement scheme. This is my year. <laughs> then I start <laughs> at that point. Business. My failing business is my retirement. At least I'm open about it. <laughs> I know my retirement is going to die on its ass. <laughs> Most comedians have one vanity project and they all think it's going to make it. But it's nice to know you know mine has died. Mine has <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'm going to hemorrhage money. Oh, amazing. <laughs> well, okay, uh, let's let's end on this then. Um, if you had... Okay, so we've already mm. asked you what your favourite comedians are. Yeah. What, what are the favourite shows you've ever seen? Oh. Uh, Titus Andronicus at the Globe was phenomenal. I think I liked that because it had nothing to do with comedy. Uh, <laughs> and also because it was a performance that was so wonderfully stripped back and raw. It was so brutal. It was really, really good. Mm. Um and then to think more of sort of stereotypical comedy shows and performances like that. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think. 
I see. See, this is the thing. I'm just starting to see more and more shows. But the problem now with seeing more and more shows is that you start seeing the structure and the skeleton of it. So you see the tricks. Um, I'm trying to think. God. Like, in what way? Like, how long ago? Or just Like, general. shows that maybe made an impact on you or that you just thought, that is genius, that is something worth looking up if someone is able to find it on YouTube or show. whatever. Uh... Oh, now I feel the pressure of thinking. Um, do you want to come? Do you want to leave that one? And yeah, come back no, to that? I'm just trying to think. Yeah, give us another question. I'll think about the other show. Well, yeah. I was, well, I mean, the next question was going to be because uh, I always ask uh, what books uh, comedians have read or like have have uh, read by other performers yep. on like either structure or about shows or about the history of it. It sounds like you might have a whole shelf of books. I've got a couple of books. <laughs> uh, the ones I, I uh, there was uh, Diary of a Sword Swallower, which was a great book about carny freaks and whatnot. And that was mm-hmm. a really interesting reading of the insights of, of circus. Uh, then the other one I really I think it was called Escape the Fun Escape from the Fun House by Andy, Andy Kaufman. Kaufman. Yeah, the yeah, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. Really, really lovely. Uh, I'm just trying to think now of what show, damn it. What is the show? <laughs> Do you know what's going to happen? This is going to go out and like one of your friends is going to hear it and go, yeah. what about mine? Oh, my show. My show was brilliant. Yeah. No. I remember you said afterwards it was a great as, show. Yeah. That was good. Perfectly adequate. Three stars. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't as long as last year. I remember yeah, you said yeah. that. I remember you said. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of the shows that are perfect and lovely. Well, this sounds awful to say, but I would say one of my favorite shows was actually my wife's show. She did a show called Siren, which was it's a song. Uh, she's a singer, cabaret singer, and also singer of vintage songs. But she just uh, put together a show based on ship songs and ocean, songs about the ocean, and that was the running theme. And then she the, the, the collection of music was so varied from Tom Waits to Jeff Buckley to some vintage classics as well. And it was just, yeah, that was a fairly stunning show to watch. And so I'm pretty sure that that'll keep going around for a while, which is quite nice. Is it, uh, uh, so what's your wife's name? Uh, Lily Lascala. Lily Lascala. Yeah. It's just so I can I link yep. to everything you talk about oh, so I have like show notes and stuff yeah. so it's better because I'd be looking up like someone yeah, will it somewhere. Lily Lascala and Siren. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another good amazing show uh, that really blindsided me. It's alright you can, you can email in yeah, I'll flip it through. and we'll do it that way. Last question then. Um, if you had one bit of because the thing is uh, okay Again, this is not meant offensively. Yep. I love that. It's three times now. <laughs> three times. It's going to be like a running thing. Yeah, this, this is not offensive. It's not offensive. <laughs> you, you, what you do is not uh, on paper mainstream. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I imagine to get it to a mainstream audience, it will have had to... You know, there's been a lot of crashing and burning yep. and, and learning back and forth. Yep. If someone else had something... Because the thing is, you've got to really think this is going to work. Because there's a lot of people out there who do stuff that is quote-unquote not mainstream... Yep. And you have to sort of go, yeah, but it's also not funny. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah you got to know it's funny. So yeah. how did you... Was there a point when you thought, I am convinced this is funny, I should carry on with it? Um, I th- I, yeah, that's where you just... You have to have the... T- to a degree funny bones to go I know that this is funny and also you you ask the right people you get the feedback to go this is what the basic gag is and I think you can also also boil all of my jokes into just this is the reason why it's funny the reason why the, the, the bullfight routine in one show is funny is because I'm getting a man to do a certain silly thing or I'm getting a woman to be a stereotypical moment here and so that's what the joke is it's not to do with anything of the props so it's always going to be funny it's like you can't get away from the fact that it's funny because for hundreds of years we've always done that in other shows with other other audience members so I'm lucky in that sense where I'm falling back on such a huge history of vaudeville and variety that I know already it's proven to work so yeah I'm fairly safe in that way <laughs> yeah and did, and did getting an agent make that easier for your mind to not go because I'm sure you had that moment where you were like 
you, you even said you gave up in 2007. Like everyone has that moment where they're yeah. like, "Is this even? Fu- is this even? Is worth this even worth doing?" doing? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think the giving up side of things was just yeah. That that had I had someone who I could have fully talked through the whole process of it, that would have probably helped. But um, I don't know. The whole you know, if you you get an agent, that's just going to open up more work. And at the same time, you think that getting an agent means that you do less work and you have more time to write. It's like since getting an agent, I've certainly done more work at my desk, doing more office admin and and organising the the business side of my life. So that that you know, it is a two edged sword. You you get an agent, you get more work, which means you do more work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've got to be prepared to do the work. That that's the thing. To, a lot of people think that once you get an agent, you can sit back and go, "I've got my twenty minutes. I'm sorted. I'm famous. Yay!" No, you've no. got to be prepared to really put in the hard yards. Yeah. So if you had one bit of advice for someone who maybe thinks of themselves a bit different and they're trying to build an audience, what would you say is? Um, I would say that this advice goes to every point. Just set goals clearly outline plans and goals like you have to go this is what I want to do and these are my reasons for wanting to do it and just mark it out work backwards to go my goal is to have uh, to succeed in doing a show at the Edinburgh Fringe what do I want to achieve out of it I want three people to review me I want to do this I want to do that and just really clearly mark it and work backwards from every single one of those points it's like if you want reviewers to see your show how do you get reviewed can you contact reviewers so you need to send them press releases how do I send the best press release work backwards from that just backwards working is the, the best advice I can ever offer anyone of going this is my big goal work right backwards until you know exactly how to do it that was the boy me and Sam met up in Edinburgh and it was one of those really nice meetups in Edinburgh where I hadn't seen him for a year and we went like just to a park and sat and it was so far away from pretty much all of the festival it just felt like two people having a chat and I really enjoyed that and I thought it was really fun to do and it really got my head out of the festival for a little bit but keeping it within comedy so I hope that came across and I hope you enjoyed it if you were enjoying this podcast and you would like to support me here are some quick ways you can do it one share this link with someone that you think will appreciate or value the content leave it a review in iTunes seriously future guests are reading them and it helps with the charts apparently I'm not sure how but apparently it does give me a donation if you want you can do that on PayPal via my website you can also sign up from Patreon and donate from $1 per episode of the podcast which is about 80p 80p did you think that content was worth 80p then uh, you should definitely sign up as a patron that would really help if you'd like to go a step further and you would like something back for your money you can buy my book as I mentioned before Uh, it's called How to Make a Living by Working for Free and it's a how-to guide for performers who want to build an audience and a community around what they do and have that audience support them through the connections and network that you create online if you found this podcast and you're enjoying this podcast and have been for a while the first part of the book is on how to get your free content out there and build an audience for it the second part is seeing if they'll sustain you through things that you actually want to sell when you have something to sell on the back of the free content so if you're listening to this and you're thinking hmm Simon's made an audience for his podcast. I wonder how he did that. Well, it goes into detail in the book, but also I've interviewed other people who have done it much better than I have and talked to them about how they built an audience and then asked that audience to sustain them and help them to continue creating. If you'd like to know more about that, the book is available. It's in the show podcast notes. It's also on my website at simonkane.co.uk. And yeah, it's pretty much everything. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank you very much for donating, and thank you very much for buying my book if you do. I'll be back in about a week with another podcast. Bye! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.